0: Good morning, my sweetheart church. It is good to be with you today. I want to add my voice of thank you to those of you who have served us, who have protected us in our armed services. One of the things that you protect for us is the right to vote, and you stewarded that for us one more time this last week, and so we thank you for that gift. Whether or not you were thrilled with the election, we come together on a Sunday following election to remind ourselves that there is one who sits on a throne. Uh, He is the eternal incumbent. He will not be voted off because we change our mind. He will always be there. And it is because of that confidence that we come and we gather and we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So, welcome to you on this day of worship. On our vacation, Cindy and I played a lot of golf. There was one round that I'm particularly mindful of, actually, one hole that I remember well because it was so terrifying. We were on a tee up high, it turns out, it was an elevated tee, and the hill was steep and it was wet. And after we had driven the ball, Cindy said, don't you think we ought to drive on the cart path? I said, nah. If they wanted us on the cart path, they would have signs that say cart path only. And so I started right straight down this steep and wet hill, and almost immediately I knew we were in trouble. The, the brakes started to chatter, and pretty quickly, the cart flipped around 180 degrees, and we were headed backwards down this very steep, very wet hill. There was no way I was going to recover this. There was no way I was going to stop. And so the only thing I could do was put my hand on the wheel, look back, and just drive down the hill backwards. I aimed for a big, tall bunch of grass, hoping that there wasn't anything more than tall grass in there, and we slammed into it and finally came to a stop. The cart refused to move after that. It was almost as if he were saying, I'm going to make you sit here, you idiot, and just think about what you just did. And finally, after it decided I had been chastened enough, the cart reset and we were able to drive out and continue our round but it was, you know, we laugh about it now, it was actually very terrifying to realize how close we got to flipping that cart and to harming my beloved and my own stupid self. We're going to continue this morning in our in our series through the Gospel of Luke and we come to Jesus' first sermon since he preached in his hometown of Nazareth. And in this section where Jesus starts out in his opener, which is called the Beatitudes, we discover that Jesus is about to lift to flip our definition of reality, our understanding of life, around 180 degrees. So brace yourself for these words. Pretend you've never heard them before because there's something a little bit unsettling and surprising about them. Turn with me to Luke chapter 6. We will start with verse 17. And Jesus came down from them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. All the crowd, imagine this just in your mind's eye, all the crowd sought to touch him for power came out of him and he healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on the disciples, on his disciples, and he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice! in that day. And leap for joy. Behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. So their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. We all hate spin doctors, right? We, 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 we don't like the people, these commentators who make things appear as they are not. Good is bad, or bad is good, or darkness is light, or down is up, and all of that. In other words, all of these campaign advertisements that we have been watching for the, the last many months, we get weary of them, don't we? in this text, this moment, you wonder, is Jesus the ultimate spin doctor here? I mean, he seems to turn reality on its head. Down is up. Darkness is light. All the world's rules seem to be flip flopped. I mean, you ask any man or woman on the street, what is it that makes for a blessed or a happy life? And they will probably say, well, that you got en- enough money to live off of, you got enough food, you, you, you have your health, you have relationships, popularity maybe. But Jesus seems to have an entirely different list, one that would never occur to us. Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, blessed are you who are hungry, blessed are you who weep, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on my account. And you say, really? because none of that sounds very blessed to me. Does it to you? I mean, the poor and hungry and heartbroken and hated and excluded and reviled and spurned? If this is blessing, give me the woes. Curse me with the woes. It's it's really troubling when you pay attention to it. It's confusing even. It doesn't make any sense. So what are we going to do with these very familiar but very challenging words? Well, here's one thing we won't do. We refuse to spiritualize them. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that we tend to prefer Matthew's version of the Beatitudes. You remember those. It's the start of his Sermon on the Mount. Now, this is Luke's Sermon on the Plain, so it's probably a different sermon with similar material. But when you turn to Matthew's version of it, it seems more spiritual. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he says. But Luke says, not blessed are you who are poor right now. Blessed are you who are hungry right now. You see the difference? Matthew seems to focus on the spiritual realities, those who are poor in spirit, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, And Luke just seems to care right now for the real life realities that they are facing. Blessed are you who are poor. And hungry and sad and hated and reviled and spurned. Turns out that this is a passion of Luke's. Luke has a passion for the down and out, for the downtrodden, for the outsider. It is Luke, more than any other gospel, who makes the the gospel of Jesus available to the Gentile as well as to the Jew which to the Jewish mindset was unthinkable. They were the chosen people. Luke says, no, it's for the outsider too. It's Luke who makes the gospel available to women at a time when women were considered nothing more than the possession of their husband, like a plow or a chair. And it is Luke who lifts up again and again in his gospel the poor and the disenfranchised and the outcast and the dispossessed. And his his sweet Beatitudes underscore that, don't they? Jesus cares for the poor, not just the poor in spirit. He cares for the hungry, not just those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus cares for those who are doubled over in pain and grief and loneliness. Jesus cares for those whose good name has been dragged in the mud, for those who are social outcasts. Any of you ever felt that way? Jesus is for you. For all of my ministry life... America has kind of been divided. The American church has kind of been divided. On the one side, you might find the evangelical world where those who hold the Bible, we hold it high. We have a high view of it as the Word of God. We have a high view of Jesus, who He is and what He has accomplished. He is God incarnate, our Savior, the King of kings and and the Lord of lords. And, And we preach that every person needs a relationship with this Jesus, and without Jesus, they will spend a godless eternity. That, that is who we are. That is what we preach. There's a, probably a stereotype of us that all we care about is saving souls. And on the other side of the church aisle are those who might call themselves progressives. They read scriptures differently. They see Jesus differently. They understand salvation differently. And if there's a stereotype about them, it would be that they only care, care about, about social justice. Things like hunger and housing and so forth. We are unabashedly on the side of the evangelicals here. We, we changed denomination because these things matter to us. We preach God's Word, all of it, as, as, as God's Holy Word. We, we call people to repent and of their sins and turn to the Lord Jesus. We, we proclaim, as I did last week, the, the Lordship of Christ over all things... And frankly, I think we evangelicals, we tend to resonate more with Matthew. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because we care deeply about spiritual things. We, we think people are spiritual beings and, and we want to minister to that eternal part of them. But we also sit under the authority of Luke's gospel. It is every bit God's word as is Matthew's version. And in Luke, we have an opportunity to, to peek in on, to listen in on the tender heart of Jesus when he says simply, blessed are you poor, blessed are you hungry, blessed are you who are sad, blessed are you who are reviled and spurned and excluded. We dare not spiritualize Luke's version of the Beatitudes, because it reminds us of this tender heart of Jesus, who wants to save both souls and bodies. I mean, it's why Jesus, he wouldn't keep on preaching. Remember, he was preaching to a crowd. He wouldn't keep on preaching when they were hungry, because Jesus knew that when your tummy's growling, it's going to be a hard thing for you to hear the gospel. So he fed them. He fed them miraculously, And I think we at Chapel Hill are working really hard to live in this this dynamic, this healthy tension between Matthew and Luke. We want to save lost souls, and we want to feed hungry people. It's why we invest in Alpha. It's why we celebrate every single person who comes to faith in Christ. It's why we are planting new churches, because we want to save lost souls. And it's why we try to be faithful through your giving, thank you, to help build a new fish food bank and to support the rescue mission and to disperse $80,000 every year through our Deacon's Benevolence Fund. I was talking to a friend this last week. He says, I, you know, I, all this Beyond These Walls stuff and the food bank and rescue mission, I know it's good, but it's hard for me to connect to it. And I get that. We live in a we kind of a cloistered world, don't we? I think we in Gig Harbor, we need Luke's version of the gospel too because he's the one who keeps reminding us of the heart of Jesus every time we encounter these raw, ragged realities of broken lives that are actually all around us even if we pretend they're not. We dare not spiritualize this. We dare not steal away the power of the rawness of this. But I would also say we dare not glamorize it. There's a, there was a theological movement called liberation theology. I'll be so impressed. Has anyone ever even heard of liberation theology? Like two of you. That was about the same for first service. It, it came into being about in the 60s, and of course I'd be suspicious of any theology that arose in the 60s. And it came into and really the teaching of it was that the message of the entire gospel is liberation, liberation socially and economically and, and, and from po- political oppression. And this view was that it, it declared that the poor of the people were the blessed of God just because they were poor, the hungry just because they were hungry, the politically oppressed just because they were in that miserable state. They were the blessed and the favored of God. That is not what Jesus is teaching here. It is not the state of hunger or poverty or, or sorrow or shame that is blessed. It is our hope of deliverance from these conditions that offers us hope and blessing and happiness. Jesus says the poor, they are going to one day receive riches of the entire kingdom of God. He says that the hungry, they're going to be filled up. He says the weep, they're going to laugh again someday. And he says that those who are treated unjustly, especially on my account, he says they're going to rejoice. In fact, he says they're going to leap. They're going to leap. That's what it says. The word literally is they're going to frolic like a lamb in the field. They're going to go from being the excluded, hated, spurned to be the ones leaping. And it's, it's not these horrible conditions that are a cause for blessing. It's the fact that They're going to be delivered from these. That's where blessing will be found. And so the question is, where is the deliverance? And here's where I love a verse that you might have just skipped right over. But I want you to see it again. Verse 20. Jesus begins, before he speaks, we read these words. He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said. Do you see what that's saying? To whom was Jesus speaking when he spoke these words? his disciples, his followers. I think it means more than the twelve. I think it's everyone there who was longing to believe in him, longing to touch him, who were crushing in on them so that they might receive his blessing and his healing. One of the other differences between Matthew and Luke's version is Matthew says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, But Luke is personal. It's second person plural. Every time Jesus, he looks him in the eyes and he says, blessed are you. Actually, it's blessed are y'all. Blessed are y'all who are my disciples who are poor. Blessed are all y'all, my disciples who are are hungry. Blessed are all of you, my followers who are weeping and sad. Blessed are all y'all, my children who are being insulted or rejected or hated for my sake. In other words, the poor and the hungry and the sad and the maligned, they are blessed not because they are in that state, but because they believe that Jesus can meet their needs and they depend upon Him to do it. They press in on Him to do that because they know they belong to Him. Jesus is so sweet. He was speaking to those who loved Him, those who followed them, those who were pressing closer and closer because they were just desperate to even touch Him. The promise of blessing is actually not to the whole world. It's not to every poor or hungry person. The promise of blessedness comes to those who realize their poverty, their brokenness, and they turn to Jesus. They press in and they look upon the eyes of Him who never takes His eyes from us. And He, and he meets those needs. It is personal. It is sweet. It is directed to his disciples, which is why that woe section, which is so troubling, is interesting to me and ironic. Only Luke puts them right together, the blessings and the woes, one right after another, and it's it's pretty condemnatory. He pronounces woe on the rich, but Jesus isn't pronouncing woes on rich people because they have money. He is condemning them because they don't need him or they think that they don't need him. Jesus had many wealthy disciples. We meet them at other places of the gospel. But he also had these rich, powerful, selfish snobs who rejected him, along with the motley crew that they thought were beneath them, that followed Jesus. It's, it, it would be easy for us in Gig Harbor to get a little nervous about the woe section. And we actually ought to, because, beloved whether you feel this way or not, we are the richest people in the world. I mean, the poorest person here today by the world standard is enormously wealthy. But we need to be reminded it's not because they were rich that Jesus found them woeful. It's because they trusted their money more than they did Jesus. In fact, we know that from the words that he used in the woes. He says, blessed are you who are are full. It wasn't really full. The Greek word means stuffed, seated. In other words, blessed are you who cannot get enough no matter what you get. You get more and more and more. So to those, he says, woe to you who are laughing now. It's not because Jesus hates joy. The word for laugh actually means derision. It's mockery. Woe to you who laugh at those who are beneath you, who look down on those who are less than you. In other words, he's saying, woe to you who are snobs. And when Jesus says woe are you when people speak well of you it's not that we don't like it when people praise us it's he's saying you crave the false flattery of phony people who want to suck up to you just see how that worked out for the prophets of old In other words the rich in Jesus sermon are woeful not because they have money but because their wealth and comfort their things their status their reputation are more important to them than their relationship with God. And here we wealthy people must give heed. It turns out that the two parts of Jesus' sermon that seem so opposite are actually exactly dealing with the same thing. And here it is. The absolute sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And that's the question that comes back to us today. Do you trust that Jesus loves you? Do you trust that Jesus will care for his followers? That no matter how things are, hard how hard things are that if you allow your gaze to meet the gaze of the one who never turns his face from you that you will find one who is faithful and trustworthy one who will meet your every need do you believe that do you believe that if you have jesus you have enough yeah. candidly i preach this to myself right now because i'm nervous about the economy i'm nervous about money I'm nervous about the fact that our church is down about 10% in our giving, and that's a big deal for us. And at times I find myself, instead of believing that Jesus will take care of His church as He always has, I think, I think more like a woeful rich person. That somehow it's upon me to solve this instead of trusting that Jesus can and will because He always has. I wonder sometimes if this level of trust is easier for desperate people, helpless people, because they don't have any choice. The homeless, the the hungry, the jobless, the scandalized, you have nothing, and so maybe it's a little easier for you to turn to Jesus, because what choices do you have? And yet, if we can turn our eyes off of our poverty, off of our inadequacy, off of our shame, and put them on Jesus, He says, trust me, and I will bless you beyond your wild imaginations. But I I think it's a little harder for us wealthy folk. In fact, Jesus said so. It's harder for wealthy people to get into the kingdom of God. The well-fed, the well-clothed, the well-housed, the well-respected, the well-healed. Because we tend to find our security in our wealth and in our planning and instead of Jesus. But the same offer stands in this text Because he looks into his eyes of his rich children and says, Do you trust me, rich man? He, He looks into our eyes and said, Will you follow me, wealthy woman? Will you depend upon me more than you depend upon your wealth or connections or reputation? Will you relinquish control of your life to me? I think it's harder for us because we feel like we have so much to lose. And Jesus looks us in the eye and says, Oh, Beloved, you have so much more to gain. Last week, I listened to a man share his testimony. He's an accomplished man. A, he became a respected medical doctor. He rose to the ranks of the military, where he served in that capacity. If you saw him today, you wouldn't have any idea of his past. But he shared the story of his childhood, where he was rejected and neglected and abused by his parents. He shared how, as a child, he was sent off to boarding school at the age of 14. And there was the constant butt of jokes, picked on by bullies, terrorized mercilessly. I knew nothing about this part of his life. As I listened, honestly, it almost brought me to the point of tears, thinking of my my own childhood and the love and the esteem with which I was raised to be abused in this way. Now, if you had told this 16-year-old Back then, blessed are you when these kids hate you and exclude you and revile you and spurn your name. What do you think his teenage self would have responded? How how would he have responded? Because the fact is, his life was anything but blessed. He felt miserable and suicidal. But then something amazing happened. As an adult, he, he drew near to Jesus through Celebrate Recovery, as it turns out. He discovered how Jesus was able to heal his insecurity and his anger and his scarring memories of abuse and bullying. He wasn't blessed, he discovered. He wasn't blessed because he was hated or excluded, nor was he blessed when he finally had accumulated wealth and status and reputation. It was only when he finally drew near Jesus and surrendered everything to him, completely to him, it was only then That he found the blessing that he had longed for his whole life. And so I wonder this day, where do you find yourself in this story? Are you on the one side? Are you on the more the the hungry side, the, the sad side, the poor side? Are you finding yourself excluded and reviled and despised by people, maybe for the sake of Jesus? Is that where you find yourself? Jesus is looking at you. He says, look look right here, look in my eyes, I got this. Maybe you find yourself on the other side, you're wealthy, you're accomplished, self-sufficient, maybe a little possessive. Jesus says, look in my eyes, look, look right here, because I got this too. And to each of us, wherever we find ourselves, Jesus says, come a little closer, trust a little bit more, Let me touch you. Look into my eyes and I'm going to bless you like you cannot imagine. We need to believe this. Would you pray with me? So Jesus, help us to believe it. Help us when the devil raises up doubts about your faithfulness. Help us when the devil raises doubts about your provision. Help us when we make idols idols of our political party or our voting record help us when we think it's going to be the right man, the right woman in office is going to to save us and solve all all, all of our problems, deliver us from that and help us instead to look anew into your eyes and to see there the heart of compassion that says, blessed are you if you're poor blessed are you, if you're hungry blessed are you, if you're sad Blessed are you if you're rebuked. Blessed are you if you're rich and you lean to me and you trust in me. Blessed are you if you don't believe that your money is all that you need to be safe and well. Father, meet us this day. Jesus, meet us this day wherever we are and may we see anew the compassion of our Savior for ourselves. We pray it in His name. Amen.
1: Thanks for joining us today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at nine and ten thirty. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at (laughs) ChapelHillPC.org. things new until the day we choose to trust in you you are hope you are strength you are the anchor in the depths God we look